The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Looping back around, it is week 10 of the NBA fantasy offseason. I'm fairly certain I didn't count before the show started, but I think I'm right. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, yeah. Yep, yep, we got that. So it's episode 46 since the fantasy basketball season ended. We'll be at 50 by the end of this week. And by the end of the following week, 55 off-season episodes will be creeping up on free agency, at which point, I can't say it's NBA draft time at that juncture because people will still kind of float in for free agency and then float back out. But I'm also basing that on a regular season where free agency would normally be the beginning of July, and then the season still doesn't start for three more months after everybody's signed. This year, the season starts two months, basically, after everybody is on a roster. Getting that right, I think. Yeah, August, early August, season starts in middle of October. So yeah, by the time free agents are signed, you're two weeks from the start of the NBA season. And that means we are in ramp-up mode just like two weeks from now. That's great to think about. That's really just wonderful to think about. I actually really like the offseason in terms of what shows we get to do, breaking down the teams, going into theory a little bit more, spending a bit more time talking about the actual basketball being played, mostly from a betting standpoint, but still, it has its merits. Most definitely has its merits. Once the season gets going, then it's the, the grind. Then it's breaking down box scores every day, making sure we're getting all the hottest pickups as they're happening. But arguably the best time to do a basketball, fantasy basketball podcast all year long is basically the 45 days leading up to fantasy draft night. So it's kind of like September 1st through draft day, which is like October or something for most of us. So it's that window. And that's when everybody comes back. That's when all of you guys that took a break from the podcast come rolling back in, and it's when new podcast listeners find our show. So, with that in mind, I have a few things on the promo side I want to knock out here. Bing, bang, boom at the beginning of today's episode. It's Monday, by the way. It's July the 19th. Can't believe it's past the midpoint of July already. I am Dan Vespers, and this is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Vespers, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hoop ball is at Hoop Ball Fantasy. Lots of new cool stuff going on over there, but that's not the promo. The promo for today is twofold. Twofold. I'm actually holding up two fingers alone in my bedroom slash office slash where I spend every waking second of the day. But no one can see me holding up two fingers, so I needed to make sure you guys knew what was happening. The promos today are twofold. Fold number one, the HoopBall loyalty program, which I mentioned at the tail end of Friday's show, I'm guessing a lot of you had already tuned out by that point, is basically this. The HoopBall loyalty program states that anyone who wants to get 
last year's monthly subscription prices, meaning $4.99 for the Fantasy Pass, $9.99 for the Wager Pass, $12.99 for Hoopball 360. DFS Pass is actually not in this promo because DFS is hard to figure out what to do in the the months where there aren't actually games being played. That's just sort of, it's not worth it to have that thing year-round. There's no way to sugarcoat it. Until there's another sport being covered, baseball and then football, which is, by the way, not that far away for us, there's no reason to have that subscription in the offseason. The Fantasy Pass, there is. We have uh, tons of um, team breakdown articles that come out, draft coverage, free agency coverage, dynasty coverage. So there's a lot of stuff from in the Fantasy Pass in the offseason. And then, obviously, there's plenty of stuff in the Wager Pass in the offseason because those guys are covering every major sport and plenty of non-major sports all year round, 365 days a year. I think the only day that there won't be a play is on a normal year, the baseball all-star break. Because there's a couple days in there where there's no baseball, basketball is usually over. This year there was a finals game in there, so that actually broke it up by one day. But on a normal betting calendar, actually I think on a normal year there might be WNBA that flips into that juncture, but I don't know if that's happening. This is really bad that I don't know. I don't think it's happening right now. I think it's over. Uh, but I might be getting that wrong. That's the those are the three days. So you're basically you're just paying the piper on those three days. You're you're putting it in the piggy bank and paying it forward. But that's off the point. The point is we at Hoopball started our monthly subscription plan this past season in November of 2020. We had never had that before. Every year prior here at Hoopball, you either bought the draft guide. Or the full season plan, or the or a combination thereof. Game time premium, I think is what it was called for a little bit. This was the first year, November of 2020, so the first season, I guess we should say, that Hoopball offered a month-to-month membership plan with, if you got it during draft season, there was a six-month lock, but any other time, there wasn't. The Hoopball Loyalty Program, I know you guys are killing me for how long it's taking, but I want to make sure you guys know what I'm talking about here. The Hoopball Loyalty Program states that if you want those prices, $4.99 for the Fantasy Pass, $9.99 for the Wager Pass, $12.99 for Hoopball 360, all you have to do is sign up now before prices go up in about three and a half weeks. That's all you have to do. Sign up and don't cancel. That's it. As long as you leave your membership active, your price will never go up. Do you hear me? Price for life. That's the loyalty program. However, if you get a fantasy pass right now and you cancel in April and then try to re-up again next October, you'll get the new price. So basically, anytime you cancel and then re-up, you're treated as though you are a new customer. The way that you get the price for life is just sign up and don't cancel it. I think this is actually particularly relevant for wager pass folks because 9.99 for a dozen handicappers plays every single day is ridiculous. We used to talk about the math during the regular season. It was like 2 pennies per top play. One of the big issues in in gambling and using a handicapper is that a lot of handicappers out there charge 25, 30, $50 for one play or one night of plays from one person. And it's impossible to make money unless you're betting like 10 grand per game 
if you're spending 50 bucks just to get which play you're making. Which is why getting every play for a couple of pennies means that you can still win. If the pro is winning, you're winning. Because two to three cents is nothing, even if you're betting like 10 to $20 on a game, not very much. As that price goes up, and the wager pass is going up from $9.99 to $14.99, and then it'll probably go up again, if I had to guess, in 2022, because even $14.99 is stupid low. Just get on for $9.99. And the most important of all, HoopBall360, because not only does it have both of those, it also includes the, the DFS plan, and the only plan we offer at HoopBall that offers the earliest access to the Brewski 150. So you get access to the B150 every year way before everybody else. That's only in HoopBall 360. That's going up from $12.99 to $19.99. So it is the best deal of all right now. The best savings. You get all the good stuff. And you won't get caught up in the price hike if you just get back on and leave it on forever. That's it. Don't cancel. You keep your price forever. The other promo is a lot quicker. As we ramp towards next season, when folks are looking for their new podcast, our subscriptions, ratings, and reviews is what helps move us up the board on the various Apple, mostly the Apple platform, but also the other ones. So if you have five seconds, please do drop a five-star review and or a written review on this show, whatever platform you're listening on. I don't know if there's a way to review it on things like Stitcher, Spotify, whatever. But make sure you've hit the subscribe button. Make sure you tell your friends to review the show. Every little five-star review we get, every little subscription we get is like a snowball effect. It's a positive feedback loop. The more people that are listening, the more we move up the charts and then more people can find the show. And that's what we need here at HoopBall to continue to grow. So that was a quick one. Just please do rate and review the pod. But more than anything, HoopBall loyalty program. Go to the HoopBall Twitter account at HoopBall Fantasy and wait for us to send the link out. It's been out a few times already, but uh, it'll be out there a few times again. Long opening, I know. Nine, eight, nine minutes on promo. I'm very sorry about that. I'll try to make sure we shorten it over the rest of the week. The NBA Finals, before we dive into the New Orleans Pelicans, they finishing up the Southwest Division on today's show. The Finals now tipping in Milwaukee's favor. They have officially won three games in a row, including in Phoenix on Saturday. Drew Holiday, 27-13 assists, 12 for 20 shooting. He finally got himself the big game they were waiting for. Giannis could not hit a free throw to save his life, but had 32-9-6 in that ballgame. Uh, Chris Middleton had 29 on 52% shooting the Bucks shot, 58% overall in the game. And despite an inability to make a single damn free throw, they vastly overachieved their offensive marker because everybody was hitting everything. 14 three-pointers, including four from Pat Connaughton, who has really picked up the Dante DiVincenzo role and run with it nicely. Even Bobby Portis was somewhat relevant in uh, that ballgame on Saturday night. And if you're Phoenix, you're feeling a fool right now because Phoenix shot 55% on their home court and lost. That is not good. They won the rebound battle. They, they, or sorry, they won the turnover battle. They battled the rebounding fight to within just two. 
So the number of possessions in this game was actually relatively tight. The Bucks had just a few more possessions than did the Phoenix Suns. Not by a ton, like three or four additional possessions over Phoenix. Uh, and that's the difference in the ballgame. Just a couple extra possessions. Whether it was the rebounding thing, team rebounds, whatever, the turnover battle, two rebounds and three turnovers gave them that five-possession edge that ended up basically being the ballgame. Also of note in this one, remember we talked about it over the weekend. I said I didn't really know when we were going to finally get the, the truly close ball game, but it felt like this was the one. I also had to lean to the over because I just thought the teams were going to shoot better. I didn't think they were going to shoot this much better, but we got that handicap relatively right on Friday in looking at sort of leaning back to the upwards direction. The funny thing is, as I look at this ball game, Milwaukee... 58% shooting, only 87 shots, only 17 free throws, and only 11 turnovers. This was actually, by all accounts, a relatively slow-paced ball game. 98, 8.5, and like Milwaukee had about 106, 107 fuzzy, fuzzy possessions. This is our quick math. And Phoenix had only about 100, 101 so the pace of the game and made shots will artificially depress the pace of the ball game. That's just the way it goes. There aren't going to be as many rebounds. It takes teams longer to get the ball out from under the hoop and bring it in the front court. Plus, it's a running clock for most of the ball game. So you also have the ball go through the hoop and then two, three seconds tick off while a team is inbounding if they're not running the ball as fast as humanly possible. So made shots, it really does add up over the course of the ball game. Even if you said every made shot cost you some two or three seconds the fact that the teams made an extra whatever you want to whatever you want to call it like seven eight shots on each side that basically like pulls a minute off of the clock you're talking about like a 47 minute game instead of a 48 minute game when teams are running back and forth but if you shoot 58 percent and 55 percent respectively it doesn't matter that will far outweigh whatever small depression you get, which is basically like one to two possessions. Uh, call it three. I was going to say one to two for each team, but like a total of about three possessions. So a ton of made buckets. Yeah, maybe you lose about three possessions overall. But we're still talking about if the Bucks we put them at 106 to 107, and we put the Suns at somewhere in the neighborhood of about like 102, you're still talking about 208... And if they were missing a bunch of shots, it might have been more like 212. So that's still, from a speed standpoint, is going down. This is relevant because precisely because of what we talked about on our Friday podcast, which is I thought the games were going to continue to go slower. I just felt like we were getting these fake low-scoring final numbers not because of any special thing the teams were doing on defense, but because the Bucks just weren't hitting any jumpers at all. And if Milwaukee scores, Phoenix is going to have to score to keep up with them because the Bucks want to play faster than the Suns do, by and large. As this game now moves back to Milwaukee, Tuesday for Game 6, because, of course, we needed another two days off between basketball games, Heaven help us, if it goes to seven, we do finally only have one day off between games. Bucks are favored by five, total of 222 points, which after a bulky 242 feels like a really low number. And yet, 
Odds makers are really sticking with it. Game one, the total was 222. Game two, the total was 221. Game three, 222. Game four, 221. Game five, 220 and a half. Game six, what did I just tell you? 222. And I said on Friday's show, I think these were, the, these were the words I used. I said, it's weird to think that there's this weird, sorry, I'm overusing a word. If you figured out what it was, congratulations. There's this zone that occurred between 222 and 219. I think it was actually adjusted down to 218 when we did our show on Friday, and it was slowly bet up over the course of the weekend. There was this, this four-point swing there that, in my mind, actually made a difference because the number of possessions just kept landing in that 215 to 220 range. But now the number of possessions are beginning to slow down a little bit. This is going to be a, an extremely methodical game six. Because now you've got the Suns on the ropes. It's an elimination game. The pressure suddenly shifting back onto Milwaukee. So I don't think they're going to shoot all that well. And I would look back at the under in this game six coming up on Tuesday. But we can break that one down a little bit more on tomorrow's podcast. We'll do that uh, as we embark upon the Eastern Conference today, it's time to talk about the Pelicans because we're 20 minutes, uh, not quite. We're like 17 minutes into the show and we haven't yet done anything on the fantasy front. But the New Orleans Pelicans, a team that was, in my estimation, one of the easier team win total under wagers of this this year because for some reason, we had all deluded ourselves into thinking that they were magically going to be better than the previous year because of, I don't know, Stan Van Gundy or Zion playing the full season. Whatever harebrained logic the general public was using to get to that point, we were able to exploit it in a fantastic way because it was very clear that trading away Drew Holiday was going to make this team worse. They traded away their best player. Pelicans went 31 and 41, which the previous year, the hell were they? 30 and 42. Okay, so they did get better by one game. Fine. You win, universe. You win. 72 games they played, they got one game better. Which makes me think, from a reality or a fantasy standpoint, that people are going to look at the Pelicans and call this season a colossal disappointment because there was this foolish, frankly, notion that the Pels were going to get six, five, six, seven games better this season. That was never going to happen. The fact that they even got one game better, I think they should chalk up as a pretty decent-sized victory. Losing Drew Holiday for effectively Eric Bledsoe made them a lot worse at that spot on the floor. Getting Steven Adams was helpful. Brandon Ingram, who somehow is still in his early 20s, I cannot figure that one out to save my life. Him get, you know, Ingram gets a little bit better. Lonzo gets a little bit better. All of these guys get a little bit better. But the Drew to Bledsoe drop-off was stark. And then Zion actually playing for a full season was also uh, helpful for them. So all of that good stuff was counterbalanced by one off-season move to lean even harder into the youth movement. But 
unfortunately, as badly as the Pelicans want to be riding the razor ed- razor's edge as both a competing club in the Western Conference and a team in a youth rebuild, contractually, this offseason isn't going to help them all that much. James Johnson comes off the books. He was part of a shifting thing in the middle of the season. Lonzo Ball is a free agent now who we don't know if they'll be bringing him back. My guess is he probably ends up somewhere else, but I don't I don't completely know. Eric Bledsoe still has a bunch of money left on his contract. He's got an $18 million deal for this coming year, and then I think he has a partially guaranteed $19 million contract the following season. And if that's the case, I don't uh, I don't know what the actual guaranteed portion is, but I'm guessing that he's someone that they'll be looking to actively trade and or maybe even let go of this year. Steven Adams still has a bunch of money left on his deal, 17 mil each of the next two seasons. And then they've got the young guys. Ingram is signed until the next millennium. Zion has a couple years left. Team options. Jackson Hayes, a couple of team options. Kira Lewis Jr., Nikhil Alexander-Walker. A lot of these young guys, and most of those guys aren't making enough money to really register on the Richter scale anyway. Zion, 10, 12, 13 million dollars, whatever. I mean, that's that's something. But once you get past him, you're talking about basically 5 million or less, effectively. Josh Hart, by the way, also coming off the books. I'm sure they'd love to retain him, but I, I, I've got to think he's the kind of guy that gets a really nice deal on a contending team, someone that can play some defense, do some rebounding from the guard position. That's a, a relatively coveted type of player on a non-rebuilding roster. I, I don't know why he would even consider coming back to New Orleans. Sure, they played him a decent amount, but there's he's not old. He'll be 27 at some point in the not-too-distant future, but like this is a guy that's going to be looking to get his contract and go make an impact somewhere, not wait around for a team that can't clear 32 wins. Fantasy-wise, we now have to take all of that data and roll it into whatever next year might be. The Pels were a weird fantasy team. Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, all three of those guys were fantasy-relevant. But from a durability standpoint, in a grotesque it's almost like a vaudeville act. The one guy who made it through the year was Eric Bledsoe. The one guy you didn't really need to make it through the year. He made it. Lonzo missed 17 games. Ingram and Zion each missed 11, which really isn't all that bad. Josh Hart, 25. Steven Adams, 14. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, 26. Jax Hayes, only a dozen. I guess that's okay. As we talked about before, this season... If you missed only about 11 ball games, you were pretty close to the, the fantasy top 150 average in that department. So Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, their totals value is pretty damn close to their per game value because they only missed 11. I say only 11 ball games. Lonzo took a hit but stayed inside the top 80 where all of those guys ended up on the totals side. So we'll start with those guys and we'll work our way to the rest of the board. Lonzo, we don't know where he's going to be, but he does have a pretty good fantasy game. He was number 46. He's been a bit injury prone on the whole in his young career. 15, 5, and 6. One and a half steals, three three pointers. And 
this this is like the the BuzzFeed part of our show. His free throw percentage will shock you. 78%. Yes, the very same Lonzo Ball shot 78% at the free throw line. He wiped out one of his giant gashes to his fantasy marker. Now, admittedly, he doesn't take very many, so even if he was bad at the free throw line, it wasn't really doing anything. I've got to think, I mean, I don't know. I've tried to keep tabs on Pelican's Twitter, which is where I get the pulse generally on what how the the experts feel about certain guys on their team. It's not fully clear if the Pels are trying to bring Lonzo back. You would have thought they would have traded him midseason if they weren't at least going to make a run at bringing him back. But wherever he goes, I would assume he can get near a dozen shots per ball game. I don't think that his top 50 ranking from this year was an outlier. I do believe that he's a very difficult player to roster in head-to-head leagues because you're now talking about a player who continues to not make it through a season healthy. In Lonzo's career, he's played 52, 47, 63, which, I mean, that's the winner last year out of their 72 games, and then 55. So he hasn't been close. He missed 30, 35, 9, and 17 games in his four NBA seasons. That's a ton. So I don't think you can draft Lonzo Ball in a head-to-head league. He's going to miss at least nine games. We can, I think we can feel pretty confident in saying that. If he was on a contending team, maybe he plays through a couple of these little things, and instead of 17 games missed, maybe it's more like a dozen But even a dozen missed in a head-to-head league is enough to put a massive dent into your fantasy team, especially if it's a guy you drafted at 50. In Roto, I think you can make a little bit of a better argument for it. He managed to stay at 77 because his per-game marker was nice, and he's good at a lot of stuff. He's managed to make himself useful in threes, good rebounding guard, assists, steals. There's a lot to kind of like now about Lonzo's fantasy game and we were saying this even coming into this season it was I was higher on Lonzo than I thought I was going to be because I thought with Drew leaving it was going to be a Lonzo opportunity to take more like I don't know 14 15 shots a game and get a little bit wild and plus he was attainable in the 55 to 65 window and to that end Yeah, he was a loss if you drafted him at 60, but barely. And in a Roto League, if you drafted him at 60 and he beat that marker on a per-game basis, which he did, then I'm almost calling it a slight victory. I don't know where Lonzo gets drafted next year. My guess is that he probably goes pretty close to where he went this year, unless there's a significant change of scenery for him. Let's talk Zion next, because that's a big name, and one that... I will come right out and say it. I got this one wrong. I did not think Zion was going to get his free throw percent up to 70, which, by the way, still a huge negative as he took nine free throws per game. But if he was taking nine free throws a game and shooting like 63%, then that category becomes unwinnable for you. As it was, as it turned out, he was decent enough in free throws 
to where his other good stuff could mostly counterbalance it. Because he was the most impactful, positive field goal percent guy in the entire NBA. At 17 field goal attempts per game and shooting 61%. There's no reason to think he can't basically do this again. 27 points per game, 7 boards, 4 assists, a steal, half a block, giant field goal percent, terrible free throw percent. And he'll probably get a little bit overdrafted because he's Zion and because there are leagues where points leagues where free throw percent doesn't really creep in. If you take free throw percent out, Zion jumps from like a fifth, sixth rounder to basically the top of the charts. And that is going to get weighed into the overall ADP. And it'll pull his average draft position up even in nine category leagues where, where folks are actually looking at turnovers and free throw percent. That's actually part of the, the equation. So he'll get overdrafted and he won't end up on pretty much any of my fantasy teams because uh, the one fantasy league where I often do a little bit of punting, it's rarely free throw percent. If you're going down that path, great. He'll be a wonderful free throw punt guy and he'll carry you in a bunch of other categories and that's cool. It's just not really my cup of tea. So moving along to Brandon Ingram, who underperformed this year, by and large. He was someone who was getting drafted mostly in the 35 to 40 range. He was number 47 on a per-game basis, uh, missed 11 ball games, so he was 56 by totals. Again, didn't break you. It wasn't uh, an earth-shattering, bone-crushing, terrible miss, but it wasn't what we wanted after seeing what he was capable of the previous year, and it's a little bit greedy because the only thing that really changed for him is that his steals moved back down to his career mark. Everything else was basically the same. Meaning, he actually had the exact same scoring output last year to this year of 23.8. Same. Exact same. Took him 0.3 additional shots this season to get there because he didn't take as many free throws. But his free throw percent was still good. He still hit 2.3 three-pointers, which is basically the same as the year before. His assists went up a tiny bit. Rebounds went down a tiny bit. But the, the real thing with Brandon, the reason that he didn't stay inside the top 40, is that he went back to being 0.7 steals per game and 0.6 blocks per game. That's where he's been his whole career. And then last season, all of a sudden, steals spiked upward by 50%. He jumped way over his career mark. Last year was wild for Ingram because he learned how to shoot the three-pointer. He was getting steals. His assists were up. His scoring was... Like, all of these things happened at the same time, and it was mostly unbelievable. And now we see, okay, one part of that was a mirage. The other stuff was real. Fixing his free throw percent and fixing his three-point stroke, those were real. But all three, threes, free throws, and steals getting fixed in the same offseason, yeah, two out of the three were real, and one of the three was probably just a statistical anomaly that sometimes happens just playing for the Pelicans where you're not playing position defense and you're just gambling on everything. What do we do with Brandon Ingram going forward? Well, I think having seen his output this year alongside Zion, 
I don't know what happens if Lonzo Ball goes away. Do, does Ingram get an extra half shot per ball game? Maybe. I don't know. It's not going to be enough to make a, a marked difference in how he performs on the fantasy side. But the fact that he was almost a carbon copy of himself from last year to this year gives us pretty good data on what he's going to be next year. And that is a top 50 fantasy player who tends to miss a handful of ball games. He's right there with Lonzo, but not nearly as rough. Ingram, uh, one year out in front, just in terms of how many seasons he's played in the NBA. This was his fifth year. Missed 11 games this year, 10 last year, 20 with the Lakers the year before that, 13 the year before that, and played in most of his games his rookie season, but he also didn't play that many minutes and didn't get that many shots. I'm going to call Brandon Ingram a very safe play going into next season. I don't know. Really, I, I didn't hear anything from fantasy enthusiasts one way or the other on Ingram. I think everybody felt pretty neutral about what they got from Brandon this year, as they should. He may just be now the... He, he can get slotted into the hyper-predictable fantasy category department, which is like C.J. McCollum, Clay Thompson before he got hurt, Brandon Ingram... Among others, I mean, we can do a, I can do a show one day if you guys want on the most predictable players in fantasy sports. Dame is probably on there, although I try not to add, I try not to put first rounders on that list because obviously they're consistent. That's why they're where they are. But there's a handful of guys like that where you just you set your clock to their fantasy output, whether it's for better or worse. And they're going to get drafted pretty close to how they perform most years. Uh, if somebody does something a little bit better, like McCollum was better at shooting the three ball this year, then he's going to go a little bit above his marker. Or if steals are a little bit down, like we saw from Brandon Ingram, he'll go a little bit below his marker. It's easy. There are a number of guys like that. And I actually love drafting those guys in the first four to five rounds because if you can set your clock to your fantasy team for those first four or five picks, that also means that you're not going to get punched in the gut by any of them. The issue, of course, as we already mentioned, is that we don't know if Ingram's going to stay healthy for a full season. I think you draft him, if you're taking him around 40-something this coming year, with the knowledge he's probably going to miss 10 to 15 games, which means it's going to be hard for him to hit his marker, his ADP marker, unless he overperforms his draft slot on a per-game basis, because he's probably going to play fewer than league average number of games on any given season. He does not get the 10th category. That said, if he fell to around 50, I think I'd happily take him and just say, you know what, this guy's probably going to be a tiny bit better than that by average. He'll probably be a tiny bit below that by totals. And in my Roto Games Cap League, I'll just fill in the perimeter with a handful of Josh Hart-level performances, and everybody will be happy. Meanwhile, the Eric Bledsoe situation creates the last notable topic on this Pelicans roster. And that notable topic is, can they really play this dude anymore? They shouldn't, but they might. I just, I can't. I cannot fathom how that makes any sense. So the hope is that if Josh Hart goes somewhere else, which I believe he will, and if Lonzo goes somewhere else, which I think he probably will, but I don't really know on that front, and Eric Bledsoe is the last point guard standing, and they decide to still play him, I don't know how you still use Eric Bledsoe because he's 
he's totally throwing the towel. He's, he's mailing in his, his day-to-day level performances for that team. I know he played in 71 of their games, but he wasn't playing... He wasn't playing nearly as hard as he did in Milwaukee on a contender. I mean, that's a rough... That's a rough move for a guy who thought he was going to be competing for a title and then ends up in New Orleans. If they move Bledsoe somehow, then you almost have no choice but to put Nikhil Alexander-Walker on your radar. He probably gets those minutes. One could argue that maybe Kira Lewis, as more of a true point guard, sees some of those minutes, but I don't think they're quite as high on him. And then... Alexander Walker, we've seen him pop off a few times. Problem for Naw, which makes a lot of sense in Nolans, is that his fantasy game is built pretty heavily on the shooting guard chassis, which is threes, dot, 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 not a whole lot else. He averaged 11, 3, and 2 in 22 minutes of ballgame this year. If that goes up to 30, and you're talking about like 15, 4, and 3, that probably still doesn't get him to fantasy value. I don't see Steven Adams getting to fantasy value either. I don't think you have to worry about that. If someone, even if you're punting, I don't, I don't even think it matters. He just isn't doing enough in other categories for it to be relevant. Alexander Walker is the only player outside of those main dudes that you should at least have one eye on. And then I don't know, if they can figure out a way to get out from Steven Adams two years on his contract, there's a possibility because his contract isn't that bloated anymore. The extension he got is at 17.5 mil instead of 27. So maybe they can get him, unload him to a contender. Then you free up the Jackson Hayes experiment, and that's the one that actually excites me. Because we saw Jackson Hayes with actual playing time. He was quite good. You give him 30 minutes a ball game, he's going to get you fantasy value. And it'll be easy. Problem is, with Steven Adams still around, that's just not happening. So you don't need to draft any of those guys, I don't think, beyond the main three. And with Lonzo, we still have to find out where he ends up. With Josh Hart, I guess you could make the same argument, but I just I don't see him going to a place where he gets enough usage for him to be a night-to-night fantasy player who also ends up hurt all the time anyway. And with the kill Alexander-Walker... I mean, his shots are going to have to go up from 10 to like 16 a game for him to actually hit his fantasy threshold because his stat, stat, his stat set just isn't that good. Jackson Hayes is the guy with the stat set, but not the opportunity to deploy it. And that's your New Orleans Pelicans going into next year. We wait, we wait, we wait, and we will find out who's actually still around. And that wraps up the Western Conference here on Fantasy NBA Today. Tomorrow, we'll break down the basketball game because there's going to be one tomorrow. Dive a little bit deeper on the handicap for the Tuesday evening game. We'll also start the Eastern Conference and where? I haven't the clue. But it'll be interesting. Maybe. I'm Dan Baspers. Have a wonderful Monday, everybody. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. So long. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.